Hey, I'm Grace Nichols, the Kinship Minister for Soul Force, and you're listening to our new podcast, Go With Grace, responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. Soul Force works to end the religious and political oppression of LGBTQI people by decloaking the ideologies of Christian supremacy and healing our community's spirits from weaponized religion. We build radical analysis, political education, and spiritual power for activists across all social justice movements, wherever the work is threatened by white supremacy and Christian fundamentalism. We believe that our movements will only win if we can eradicate the ideological system that moralizes and justifies wide-scale violence and injustice, also known as white Christian supremacy. Therefore, our goal is to seed all our movements with a working knowledge of white Christian supremacy, how it functions, and the tools to combat it. We're going to get into it, y'all, and we're going to go with grace. Hey, everyone. Thanks for giving this second episode of Go With Grace a listen. I had a really rich conversation with co-executive director Joss Mendez Nunez, and we talked through the creation and imposition of binaries, namely the application of good and evil to all aspects of life, and how those binaries in particular lay the foundation for systemic oppression and supremacist ideologies. Through this binary of good and evil, we are continuously pitted against one another. We are separated into social categories of dominance and inferiority. And when our governmental policies and cultural practices are created around binary thinking, this is how systems of oppression and supremacist ideologies are developed. And for many listening, this is probably old news. Like, we know that systems of oppression exist. However, an added layer we want to emphasize is this element of moralization. Uh, In an attempt to make this point concise, when we get separated into categories of good and evil... The people who consider themselves good and righteous really have no problem harming the people they consider bad or evil or threatening. There's honestly a lot more language, definition, articulation to work through around those thoughts, so... I'm continuously looking for those things, and I hope we can continue to unpack through these conversations. At this time, I want to take just a little bit to share my own story and experience and connection to this work. I am going to share a bit about my experiences with oppression and religious trauma, um... I don't actually talk a lot about these things because of everything that it brings up for me. But in preparation for this episode, uh, there were uh, two things I realized. Uh, One, it's important for me to and all of us to remember that 
white Christian supremacy, oppression of all kinds, really thrives in secrecy and silencing. And I was reminded of this quote from um, the phenomenal black lesbian feminist scholar, Audre Lorde, who said, when we speak, we are afraid. Our words will not be heard nor welcomed, but when we are silent, we are still afraid, so it is better to speak. So I really try to live by that as well. And I also realized that it's hard to know the full impact of something unless we talk about it. And that, I think, is central to Soul Force's work. We must be willing to talk about and confront white Christian supremacy or else we will continue to be unaware and fall victim to the impact of white Christian supremacy on our spirits and our world. That being said, not everyone might be in a place to hear this type of experience. And for the sake of time, I might not go into all the details, but I do want to provide a genuine content warning. And if you're not in a place to hear my experience with religious trauma, I fully support pausing or not listening to the next five minutes or so. Whatever I'm doing in the world, I do strive to bring my whole self and story, which includes my experiences as an adoptee, a queer and trans person, a disabled person, and a survivor of religious trauma. And all of those elements of my life are connected to why I do this work. Hmm. So I suppose I will start by saying that grace has always been important to me. I was born Grace in the Philippines. That was my name when I was born. And then it was changed to Tori when I was adopted at seven months. I did end up uh, keeping Tori. Grace is, is my middle name, and so some folks call me Tori Grace. That's great. But I really have worked hard to own and reclaim Grace for a variety of reasons. On the front of my mind, it kind of just messes with gender. The way that I sound being perceived very masculine, I think it's important to bring grace to all of that. And I also really wanted to honor the family and the culture I came from and the family and culture I was taken from. This has been very important to me. And through the circumstances of my early life, I have built an immense capacity to hold many things at once. So I have a lot of opinions about the adoption industry and the role of white Christian supremacy. That's a whole different podcast episode. But I do think those dynamics of good and bad, um, worthy, not worthy, impoverished, wealthy, really play a major role in the adoption industry. And so from the beginnings of my life, 
I was uh, sort of set up uh, to to be holding a lot of complexity within my body. And as I grew up in the world, I grew up overseas on American military bases in Okinawa, Japan, and Heidelberg, Germany. And on the military base in Heidelberg, Germany, I became really involved in what is called Young Life in the United States and Club Beyond on American military bases. And I quickly grew into leadership through that youth group. And then I also just had questions about sexuality and why being gay was perceived as so wrong. Uh, Before I had any kind of language for myself, I didn't really understand what the big deal was. And of course, later I would come out as... I came out as a lesbian in high school, and my journey with gender, I think, is relatively recent. And I just didn't know all that was available to me, even though I'd been living a pretty genderqueer life my whole life. I had never really ascribed to the gender binaries presented to me. And so I have... um, I strongly identify as genderqueer and non-binary, and I have been on testosterone for about three years now. During my time in high school, I, as I was questioning and, and growing into my sexual identity, I was asked to leave the youth group I was a part of And before that, I spent a whole year working with a staff member in Club Beyond through scripture, through the hermeneutical study of the Bible to see what was said about homosexuals and also worked through three different conversion therapy books. And I felt really lucky after the fact that a lot of that information did not resonate with me. I was a very faithful, willing Christian at the time, and I really prayed that if I needed to not be gay, if God needed me to not be gay, then I would not be gay. And I never got that conviction. I grew to feel spiritually fine with my sexuality and I felt really affirmed spiritually that I was not doing anything wrong. However, the faith community I was in very adamantly said that who I was and what I believed about myself was wrong. And the literal messages I got when I was invited to leave was that, Grace, you're so cool we can't have our other young people thinking that it's okay to be as cool as you. And I, over the years, I really tried to frame their actions as far as like, you know, that, that their faith is important to them and they there's no way that they could question that they could have grace from me. 
um, because it would mean that they would have to question their whole faith. And now I see that that's kind of the point. These were people that I really loved and cared about and trusted and I considered friends and family, and yet they had no qualms of telling me that I was wrong, I was sick, that I was going to hell, um, and that I was not welcome in a faith community. And I keep that tucked away. That still obviously like really hurts me. It really impacts me to know that people I loved and trusted would do that to me because of faith. And so I, I absolutely want to have grace for those people. And I also want to be really honest about the impact they had on my life. I'm lucky to have had lots of therapy, lots of other supportive, affirming experiences and people in my life um, that tell me that obviously I'm, I'm perfectly fine as I am as a queer and trans person. And that's just my one fortunate experience. The reality of the situation is that that type of faith practice is prolific and impacts young queer and trans people every day. And we know all the stats about suicide rates, depression, mental health, difficulty, uh, and all of that happens because of a division, a belief system around good and evil and queer and trans people and disproportionately queer and trans people of color being placed in an evil and unworthy category. So thank you to Soulforce. Soulforce was one of the first resources I was able to encounter through the, the budding phenomenon of the internet back in the day. I found Soulforce's website and as Soul Force has transitioned to be uh, more radical and intersectional, the org continues to be an immense support system and outlet for me and others to work through all of, all of this stuff. So I want to get into the episode. It's a really great conversation between me and Joss, but I want to say a few more things about grace because that is the theme of this episode. And I want to just use my example again, which is considering all of the harm that I experienced, what do I owe anyone? I don't owe anyone anything. And it would be really easy for me to say, fuck Christians, fuck Christianity, um, fuck all the people who harm me in the world. And attempt to go about my business in that way but we also know that that doesn't really work um i would still be carrying a lot of hurt and resentment and we also know that when those things are not worked out that we also cause harm to each other because all the things that we're holding so that's only my experience but Obviously, that legacy is broad and vast, and considering the ways that Christianity has been wielded to cause harm to Black, Brown, Indigenous 
communities worldwide and other marginalized folks, there is no reason I can see to give grace to those things except for that we are interested in a different way of being. I personally am very interested in figuring out how we can stop cycles of harm and we can participate in a world that is less traumatic and less hurtful hurtful to one another. I will say that grace is leaning into the possibility despite looming oppression. Grace is getting curious about what's possible. Cycles of harm are thwarted. Grace is audacious enough to say that change is possible, but we have to work for it. And it definitely won't be easy. I think Grace is saying that change will take a lot of effort, a lot of deep self-reflection, healing of lifetimes, and utilizing creativity in the process. Grace is radically embracing where we are and always challenging us to be better. So thank you again for listening to my story, my thoughts on this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and this conversation. Anywho, hi Joss. Hi Grace. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm living for this warm weather. Uh, we're sweating. <laughs> we're sweating and... But it's a good Southern sweat. Right. You know, I the world is sweating alongside us. I feel like um, I could just sit out on the porch and just sweat alongside everyone and everything else for a good long while. I agree. And then I need to get to some water soon. Mm. and just Mm -hmm. yeah have a nice cool off so a balance will be good thanks for joining me today would you let the good listeners know who you are and what is your connection to soul force Mm -hmm. my name is jess i am a I'm an activist. I'm an artist. I am a Southerner. I am Latinx, by the way, of the Caribbean. My people are Puerto Rican and Dominican. I am a friend to many. And in this particular capacity, I am the co-executive director of Soul Force. So co-executive director, how do you find yourself in this role? Oh my goodness. I was found by Soulforce um, when I was 21. I was fresh out of college, even more baby faced than I am now. And I happened to meet in quick succession, Reverend Alba, and then a few months later, Haven Heron, who was the executive director of Soul Force when I joined. Um, and it was super serendipitous. It's one of those meetings, it was one of those meetings where I was really clear 
from both of those people, from meeting them, from talking with them, that my life was going to be changed by being close. And I wanted to just figure out how to lean harder into that. And so one of the biggest questions I had in the moment when I was meeting Soulforce was like, how do we have enough fortitude, particularly me as a very young person in a community of other very young queer people um, who didn't, we didn't have a lot of resources. Like there wasn't a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of like um, experiences or people to relate to outside of the community of people who were, who were up against what felt like these humongous systems um, and these humongous ideologies. And through soul force, I experienced people who were up against an ideology that I was unwilling to touch as a like young person who had come out of Catholicism and had decided that I wasn't going to go back to Christianity, so organized religion. Um, and even though I'd always found myself as a very spiritual person from a very young age, I just, it just was not, it was not on the list of work that I needed to do. Um, but as a Southerner, it really intrigued me. As a child of immigrants, it really was like, what do you mean that you are going up against, we were talking about Christian fundamentalism at the time. Like, what do you mean we're, we're queer people dedicated to like racial justice and, um, and feminism and trying to understand how all those things work in this interlocking system of oppression and also resistance to Christian supremacy, which is what we started calling that, um, that interlocking system. And I just was so excited about learning about myself through the work of Soulforce and learning about how to, um, how to create a more resilient community. I find that the, that the work that I ended up doing was very much creating a more resilient self that was able to be in community with people that I loved and offered my own tools that I had encountered through Soulforce work that bettered all of the people that I love and created a more resilient community through everybody's individual like self-work, you know? Mm -hmm. mm. I hope that we can uh, break down some of, some of those things because you mentioned systems and ideologies, which is the realm soul force functions in is mm -hmm. trying to identify the ideologies that make their way into our lives and our policies that impact us in really harmful ways. Mm -hmm. You know, so for us, we have always been making the distinction between Christianity as a religion, as a tradition, um, which is really important to a lot of us. A lot of mm -hmm. us in soul force space, outside of soul force space, we come from Christian backgrounds. A lot of us identify as Christian in a multitude of ways for a lot of different reasons. Um, and something that we say often in soul force spaces, we're not coming for anybody's Christianity, except that which is inherently being weaponized. We are working to strip away the toxic theology and, and offer space to be able to live into abundance, right? And um, into our inherent dignity and self-worth worth as LGBTQI people and other marginalized people um, who have been victimized by this weaponized religion. Earlier, you had mentioned sort of in your earlier years as an activist and organizer, you would like see in your community um, 
people being impacted by these ideologies and Soulforce's work becoming really important for building resilience. Do you have, can, does anything come to mind like an example of what you would see in your community um, that would, would, that was calling you to, to respond and build resilience? Yeah, some of the, the baseline work that, that we did, um, particularly like when we were working with Christian college campuses and, and the students there, you know, we piloted a lot of different projects um, with, with those folks alongside just like young queer and trans folks across the South. And I got the benefit of getting to learn alongside all of these other people who were in hostile contexts. Um, some basic strategies around like unpacking the kinds of toxic theologies that we that we take in in hostile contexts. And a lot of them having to do with our own sense of self-worth and our inherent dignity. And that's kind of the thing that I always come back to in, in terms of um, why soul force work is so important because for me that was life-saving the amount of of dignity that i felt that i was not entitled to as a queer person as a brown person as the child of immigrants as like all of these uh identities that stacked on top of each other that i just found myself inadvertently being really struck by um exercises that had to do with like what is the root of our understanding that we as queer and trans people or we as black and brown people or we as women and gender nonconforming people and trans people are not inherently worthy of God's love or of dignity or of respect or of um, meaningful relationships or fulfilling sex or whatever the things are that we believe that we are not deserving and worthy of. Um, like, let us isolate where those messages come from whether it's from scripture or from the thing that we learned in church or from media or whatever, like what is the root of that thing that I believe? And let us like use every tool that we have to like, to, to push that lie out of our bodies. And so sometimes that was like scripture. If the scripture, if the message that you were receiving as a queer person was actually rooted in a piece of scripture that was weaponized against you, then let's like revisit that text and let's revisit the rest of the text and let's like, you know, play around with that thing until it's less scary, until you are less like fearful of that violent interpretation that you received. And let's just keep going over it until it's not scary to you anymore. And so for me, um, the thing that I took that I continue to like share back with people in my own life is that sort of like, if there is something that is impeding you from showing up as your fullest self, as being able to um, rise to the occasion, particularly in our activism work, like so much of that work calls us to imagine that we are as powerful as we need to be in order to like, to construct the new worlds we want to live in. And so there's some, we have to like build up the dignity collectively that makes us entitled enough to like go and step to power. Um, and mm. so that like power building work and the resiliency work that comes with like interrogating where it is that we believe that we are not worthy of dignity or respect um, and just like exposing ourselves to the lie until it is like no longer louder than the truth of our dignity, of our worth, um, 
is the thing that is the basis of my relationships now moving forward with all of the people that I love and who I like rock with in any other organizing work that I do in my life. Um, yeah. So powerful. Um, truly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's astounding when I, I'm pretty sure it's through soul force. I think even kind of heard that phrasing of power analysis, like apply a power analysis to the work that you're doing. Where is power showing up? Where is power being wielded to cause harm? And I think the examples you just gave really speak to why this work is so tricky because it's so insidious. It's like so ingrained. So people are getting messages from all over um, and essentially from from places of power, of from places of authority, like the church, like the Bible, like media. And we ingest these messages as fact, as the way things are. And they can be as um, uh, simple is not the right word, but as casual as heterosexual marriage as the only option onto more violent messaging around race uh, and uh, value of uh, different types of humans. Mm -hmm. mm. Absolutely. And it's that it's that stickiness and that complicatedness that we have to lean into, right? In order to, because we are we are complicated people. And I think one of right. the lies that Christian supremacy corroborates is that everything can be ordered really neatly and nicely into different categories, which is the undergirding of the lie, the gender binary. It's like God created male and female when God was creating land and sea and night and day. And um, that those you know, those heavenly orderly neat boxes are the way that nature works mm. and that we can order everything into different boxes or races or genders or classes of people. And that shit's a lie. And so it is those those things that we sort of take for granted the, the ways that we, the things that we believe in, why we believe them. And what I find great value in at Soul Force is the people of Soul Force that I have gotten to know through almost a decade of being in this work have enough like courage and willingness when we come together to sort of dig all the way deep into like, what are the building blocks and the foundations of what we believe and why do we believe them and what needs to shift in our collective thinking in order to um, move beyond the toxic groundwaters that Christian supremacy has helped to establish um, and, and think bigger and greater, which means we're always going to be more complicated than the neat little boxes that you can tick off. One of our, one of our units that we do is around this binary stuff. And I'm always reminded when any trainer does this in our space of like, how we're imparted this stuff as children around supremacy and around binaries and creating mm -hmm. the us versus them when we play the opposite game you know of like we teach we teach children and then it is like reinforced through the course of our lives that we can split the world into opposing binaries and then throughout you know we have abundant media particularly here in the states and it really focuses on 
creating stories where there are two opposing forces and those things are pitted against each other for one to win over the other. And it really neatly aligns with a Christian supremacist worldview of a good versus an evil that is perpetually, um, you know, good is perpetually working to win over evil and evil is working to win over good. And we should always align ourselves to the good, which will win out over evil. Should we, there is, it's a, it's a very cinematic story. It feels very Mm -hmm. cinematic because it feels like watching Star Wars and that's not on accident that we continue to like eat up those, those stories. We are fed those stories about how the world works. Um, And it is not the only way to think about the world and it is, but it is hard not to like perpetuate those stories. Um, So it's really important that we, you know, as people who are invested in our own personal work also invest ourselves in taking in other kinds of stories about how we expect that we're going to win. And uh, so in, in the expanse is possibility. And I, as both you and I, as creative people, that feels also foundational to liberation movements is um, bringing a creativity to to how we work through things. And I think another distinction, um, what I've I've been I've been trying to trying to find some language around, but what I've landed on so far is. So we have a power analysis, um, which to me really includes an analysis of harm. And I think we're really interested in reducing the amount of harm moving forward. So if that's working through conflict, if that's um, redistributing resources, to me, it's leveling a playing field in a way that is not extractive or of that scarcity mindset of like if this group of people gets housing then that's going to take housing away from this group of people it's like everybody deserves housing and like and to and and to live well and so formerly i had been really literally in my brain and i feel like others do that too it's like is it just us versus them are they just going to say that we're evil and we're going to say that they're evil and like, we're going to just spin in this cycle. Uh, I think that's very possible. And I think we've been doing that for a long time. And I really want to believe in the possibility that we can shift some hearts and minds to be, to, to say like, if we recognize the humanity in more people, then more people, get humanized rather than than um the um you know the fear-mongering opposites that I think the right likes to propose as far as like if gay folks get married then they're gonna ruin the sanctity of marriage if trans kids are allowed to make choices for themselves then youth will be ruined forever I'm not really sure what their argument is (laughs) um other than that you know they're obviously they think that there's just they believe in that binary real hard and that is actually foundational to kind of I think to their power structures Mm -hmm. um yeah absolutely earlier when you were talking I I wrote down something 
in Soul Force, we talk a lot about the moralization of harm. And I, I don't know if we've addressed that in this conversation yet, but that is around sort of, we talked about it in the first episode around the fourth, which is if there is a greater good in mind, then harm is uh, inconsequential. And, th and that's another thing I hope that we can circumvent is that how much harm we cause along the way should always be taken into consideration. So that's a moralization of harm. And when you were talking earlier, it seems like another strategy of sorts is this uh, moralization of order. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about all the categories mm -hmm. um, that um, white Christian supremacy likes to put people in. Yeah, that that's a great phrase, a moralization of order. Um, it's so deeply tied up in this white Christian supremacist understanding um, of the world that, you know, we, we've seen like reiterated in the uprisings over police brutality in the last five, 20, 50 years. But um, as a younger person thinking specifically of like the moments where I got politicized in um, after the murder of Mike Brown in 2014, and there was so much conversation from so many different people um, that really focused on, of course, the tactics of, of those of us who were organizing and protesting and, and, you know, this like this pushback against what felt what feels like a disorderly movement. And it's not inherently wrong for people to feel that discomfort around seeing something that to them feels disorderly and to feel that discomfort. And the work for all of us is to understand where does that discomfort comes from? And it comes from the, the white Christian supremacist understanding of God imposing order um, and that being a really important function of a society that also is imposing violence on its most marginalized people is direct is a direct a direct line of white christian supremacist theology that is being imposed on us in real time that we have to push back against mm -hmm. um because we are not orderly people like um queer people's bodies are not orderly our lives are not orderly um people of color black people indigenous people immigrant peoples of many sorts into this country we have had order imposed on us to violate our bodies and our autonomy and agency and family and communities for generations. And mm. that shit is violent. Um, mm. And so when we refuse to be ordered any longer, that is a really important act of resistance that is as much um, resistance to a law or a policy as it is to a like colonial um, theological underpinning of orderly being connected to this like godliness, this whiteness, this patriarchal like control over our bodies and our on our societies. Um, and it's it's there are we play around with these building blocks a lot in soul force of like, okay, let's think about binaries, let's think about autonomy, let's think like these things that are very baseline, um, because they are for real the building blocks of what it is that we're talking about when we're talking right. about um, the moralization of harm. What you were talking about, we see it exemplified in everything. 
from political campaigns uh, run on law and order, of, of like pushing law and order, is supposed to create a sense of safety, but it is usually code for white dominance and white control um, over um, many other uh, people. Same so, thing that we see about bathrooms, right? right. Of like you start complicating men's bathrooms and women's bathrooms and let people do whatever they want with their bathrooms. And it's like, it's like you opened up all the cages at the zoo. It is actually like, like that fear of a disordered society is a really important tactic of white Christian supremacy. And is we're seeing that reiteration in what's happening with like the Olympics and with, with um, trans people in sports, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, all right, well, if you have all of these people who are messing with the gender binary, then what are we going to do with our precious sports and who gets put into what category and what's the limit? And it's like, I don't have a good answer to that because I'm not invested in sports <laughs> nor in binaries, you're, but especially you're a crafty that queer, not a sporty <laughs> queer. Got it. Yes, exactly. Um, and and that's not that's also like not my my role in movement is to come up with a new with a new understanding of what we do with sports but what i do hope that we can have a conversation about is what exactly is happening in that conversation we're re we're revisiting the the thing about order that everyone's really freaked out about is like all of these people are messing with the order of our society and the fabric of our culture and what if we let go of order then anything can happen and there's an anxiety around that that we need to just like culturally let go of. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, what would happen if, you know, it's like, what are we going to do with all these people as like a genuine question? How can we make it so that everybody can play? Um, there, it becomes controversial when people have rigid ideas of gender, of, of anything. And then, there's no room for possibility because it's like, well, this doesn't fit this standard. So then we must uh, respond in a repressive way um, because we're not even going to give ourselves the option of, of, of a different possibility. Absolutely. Mm. And so it's always really powerful to be in soul for space and to get to hear brilliant people who are thinking and talking about the ways that um, that we can understand God as more complicated than neat mm -hmm. orderly bound binaries and boundaries where we can talk about the different um, the different like moralities of characters from scripture um, different interpretation just to 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 lean into a more complicated Christianity a more complicated theology that we are are constantly complicating um to just get rid of that whole orderliness shit one of the things that I think is really toxic about Christian supremacy is is the lie of orderliness mm -hmm. um and so if we can if we can do work to be together as people who have been harmed by that spiritually and and really get it at the root, including these these places of our of our lives that can feel really secular. Alongside, for those of us who have this like um, this bedrock of Christianity culturally in our faith, what have you, as an undergirder of the way we move through the world, like if we can complicate those that orderliness in 
our Christianity, like, I feel like we could do anything. <laughs> right. And, and that's the invitation. Just like yeah. you said, no one's trying to take anything away. It's actually an invitation into um, something that maybe is more complicated, might feel a little uncomfortable, but at the end of it is full of life and, and possibility. So that, that is the invitation. Um, thanks so much for talking with me today. I have one final question. Yeah. Which is what, what is something or things that is really bolstering your resilience nowadays? I am now an auntie five times over. (laughs) There were two babies in my family who were born during the pandemic and um, getting to meet them after everybody was vaccinated was so wonderful and exciting. I love children um, and my family is really important to me. We do a lot of really good and hard work together around white Christian supremacy. And so reuniting felt really good. And in my, my reunion trip with my family, where I got to like hold all of my little nephews, including the nephew that was born to my younger brother, um, I, I realized like I am, I'm moving from, I'm moving out of this like child stage. I'm 28. So I've been not a child for a long time, pay my own bills, whatever, but into this like out of childhood and into being somebody's titi, <laughs> being mm. an aunt, being mm-hmm. like a a a figure of like an, an to another generation that is this like um not a parental figure but an older figure. And it really has me tripped out around like this idea of like what does it mean to some be somebody's ancestor? Um yeah. and what kind of work I need to be doing in real time to model for all of the children in my blood family and my chosen family and just around like um, what is possible. And it feels like the stakes are really high and there's so much opportunity for like joyousness and abundance and wonderfulness in that very hard work of being my best self. And now I'm like, I have to be my best self all the time. None of these kids live close to me, but like it it really impacts my baseline of like, I feel a lot of pressure, but really positive pressure around like, oh shit, I'm going to be somebody's ancestor in a hundred years. Like I want to, I want to be the best possible ancestor I can be. So what other work needs to be done? Like what other work do I need to map out to, to do to like be a really good one? And um it's a, it's a motivator that makes me like, um, feel a lot more resilient. Like, all right, we got stuff to do. That is beautiful. We are (laughs) same wavelength. I swear. I just had that thought today was just like, what kind of ancestor do I want to be? And that's also the invitation is the invitation is to that, into that question, what type of ancestors do we want to be? And then what do we need to do to be those ancestors mm-hmm. and those people for each other? Um, yes. Yay. Thank you for chatting with me today. 
Thank you so much for holding the conversation. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you all so much for sticking with us, sending you big love and blessings for the month of August. As always, you can find more information at www.soulforce.org and we are at soulforce.org on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And until we get back into it next month, may you be well, healthy, and happy, and may you go with grace.